Hello, welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, the series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Welcome to our pre-Green Book episode. Yes, we are recording this episode just days before the administration is expected to release their Green Book, that document that will offer substantially more detail on the Biden tax plan. Soon we will have many of our questions answered, and soon, no doubt, we will have many more new questions. So you might think, what's there to say right now before we get all this new information? That's a fair question. I'd offer that while we are sitting here in the eye of the storm waiting for the Biden plan, it's a good opportunity to discuss what the Green Book actually is and discuss what it is not. Because no matter what we get in the next few days, there is at least one thing we know. The Green Book, as we receive it, cannot become law. Hey, enacting law, that is Congress's domain. So in sizing up the relevance of the Green Book, we've got our resident Washington veterans, Jennifer Gray and Tom Stout with us today. And between the three of us, I'm embarrassed to say how many Green Books we've seen come and go. But I think all that experience can inform what we can expect once we get Biden's first budget. So let's just go and dive into this. Jennifer, I'm going to start with you. Just tell us, what exactly is a Green Book for those who have not ever actually paid attention to this process before? Well, the technical name is the General Explanation of the Administration's Fiscal Year Tax Relief Proposals, and that's really what it is. It's a document that basically lists a lot of priorities and ideas that the Treasury Department has and the administration has, and then it gives current law reason for change, what the proposal is. It generally includes a revenue estimate prepared by the administration, what they think the revenue impact of those changes would be. So it's really a bit of a Bible, dig in a little bit and get an idea of exactly what the administration is thinking about with regard to their tax ideas. Okay, so it's an explanation. It is not, correct me if I'm wrong here, a legislative text, right? That's not absolutely what we're dealing not. Right. No, absolutely right. not. If folks look at joint tax type documents in the past, this will look familiar to you. It's often a typical type setup where it's in prose, again, sometimes discussing why they want to make the change, discussing what the change is. I think that's an important point for people to understand. Yes, this is going to be important because we've got to take a look at the Made in America tax plan. I forget how many pages is like 19 or something like that. This will be what hundreds potentially of pages we can expect. But it's not going to answer every question that we could possibly have about how the proposals would work. It will be far from doing that. Certainly, technical folks will still have a lot of questions. But, you know, we've been waiting on this with bated breath. I'm very unhappy after that long wait. It's coming out the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. But that aside, we've really been looking forward to it. It's going to answer a lot of questions, but absolutely not 100 percent of the questions that we have. Okay, that's very fair. We've hopefully set expectations. This is going to be a lot more, but it's going to leave a lot of people disappointed that it's not going to answer all their questions. Okay, so Tom, now that we're going to get this document that is going to be substantially longer than what we've seen, what exactly is the history of Green Book proposals actually being enacted? What does history tell us about the likelihood or the history of Congress picking up these proposals and turning them into law? They're as successful as any administration proposals for legislation, and that is sometimes they get passed, a lot of times they don't get passed. But what I was thinking about when you were asking the question was the last Green Book that we saw was the 2016 for the last Obama budget, and there were a lot of tax reform proposals in that Green Book, none of which were enacted, of course, since Obama left office. 
The interesting thing is that most of those proposals look like they're being picked up by the Biden administration, and we will see them reappear in the Green Book that will probably be out on Friday. You might say that none of those proposals were enacted, but we might see them enacted this year. I just thought it was a really interesting question, and I actually went back and looked at one of the first Green Books I dealt with when I went to Capitol Hill, which I'm embarrassed to say was FY 2001, but that was the Bush tax cuts. And I actually went through and looked through some of the summaries of that and what was in the Green Book, and they were pretty darn close. It was really interesting how many of the proposals that were put forward in the Green Book ended up becoming part of that first Bush tax cuts bill. I went back in anticipation of this episode and looked at the 1993, which would have been the fiscal year 94 Green Book. This is Bill Clinton's first Green Book, because you all may recall that Bill Clinton passed a very major tax bill in his first year in office. And while clearly not everything in that book was enacted, we did get the corporate tax rate increase proposed in the Clinton Green Book. And we also got the increase in the top rate on individuals enacted in the Clinton Green Book. So they do, from time to time, become law. And I guess you kind of have to have the right circumstances align where you've got, let's just say, a Democratic president like we had in 1993 in the case of Bill Clinton. He had a democratically controlled House and Senate. So it seemingly would be more likely in that scenario that they would or could become law. In Obama's case, after the 2010 midterms, remember, Republicans held at least part of Congress, the House first, and then eventually the Senate as well. So I guess we shouldn't be that surprised that the Obama proposals never became law, keeping in mind that you'd have to have the Republicans sign off on them. But they finally getting their chance in the sun, as you suggested, Tom, because now, of course, Democrats control the House, the Senate and the White House again, and they're going to get another look. Many of them might be picked up again in the Biden Green Book. Okay, Jennifer, one of the things you mentioned I thought was interesting, and I want to come back to this. You you talked about revenue estimates. Revenue estimates are important, especially when you're trying to pay for a big spending bill and the tax increases are the way to pay for it. You said that the Green Book will include revenue estimates. What are these? Are these official revenue estimates? Can we take these as official? Sort of, kind of. These are prepared by the administration. They're not prepared by the official score mechanism on Capitol Hill, which would be the Joint Tax Committee or the Congressional Budget Office, depending on the exact proposal. So they're official in that they are put together by the government with all government resources and economists and lawyers and estimators, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it will be the actual scores that come from those two, the Joint Committee and CBO, that will determine what the actual bill score is. But, you know, it's really interesting, and I think it will be very helpful when we get those numbers, at least to give us an idea of of the scope of some of these proposals. And to give us some sense of that, I think it will be very helpful. They're usually pretty close to the economists at the Office of Tax Analysis at Treasury talk all the time with the economists at Joint Tax. So they're generally using the same kinds of models. You usually don't see a lot of major variation between the estimates that come out of Treasury and the ones that come out of Joint Tax. That's right. And they sometimes agree to disagree in terms of how something is scored. But I agree with you. I mean, A, directionally, they're always going in the same direction. It's just a question of how close they are. And you're right. They are usually within shouting distance of one another. And let's not forget that eventually what typically happens is the Joint Committee of Taxation will develop its own revenue estimates of the Green Book. Am I remembering that right? That we will get the Joint Committee's official score of the Green Book, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they'll they'll do an analysis of the budget that'll get wrapped into a, an analysis that CBO does. So we'll get the numbers that are coming from the Hill officially. I think the thing to keep in mind, too, though, about the numbers that are coming in the Green Book is there's a lot of interactive effect among all the tax provisions that we're likely to see. 
And as those change on the Hill, you know, if you change one provision, it affects the revenue estimates for other provisions as well. So there's likely to be a considerable amount of change going on all over the place as this thing works its way through Congress. That's an excellent point. Like an example of that would be in the Biden proposal, let's talk about capital gains, which is the last thing we talked about in our last episode, but this is a good example. Biden's proposing substantially increasing the capital gains rate, and that will raise, I assume, quite a bit of money, but only because, or in part because, he's also coupling it with a different policy proposal, which is to tax capital gains at death, have this realization at death proposal, and linking those two helps maximize sort of the revenue effect. If Congress, on the other hand, picks up say Biden's proposed rate on capital gains, but says it's not in one of the bills to do the realization at death. So they leave that out. You would expect that capital gains proposal that Congress would score under those circumstances and without the interactive effect with the step up at death to raise potentially less. And so those are good examples. Context is really important, as you say, Tom. Tom, another question for you. Effective dates. Gosh, we get so many questions about effective dates, and we've talked about it a lot here. Does the Green Book ever provide us any guidance on effective dates? Number one, question one. And question two, if they do, should we take that seriously? So if we see when we get this Green Book on Friday, you know, I'm going to open up to capital gains and other things to see if they express a point of view on effective dates. If they do, should we take that very seriously or not? What do you think? Well, they have to put effective dates on the provisions in order to do the revenue estimates. You know, otherwise, you can't do the estimates. Typically, what Treasury does for the vast majority of things is they will just make the effective date 1-1 the next year or taxable years beginning 1-1 the next year. There's some exceptions to that that they usually put in. Things were basically their incentive provisions for transactions. So you'll see bond provisions you know, would be effective date of enactment so that wouldn't be postponing transactions. But beyond that, it's usually 1-1 the next year. And Treasury's position is basically that effective dates are the province of Congress. So they should generally just leave them alone. So there will be effective dates, but it's hard to say you should take them all that seriously. I agree with that, Tom. But I did happen to see an old Obama administration proposal in their Green Book where they actually did have, and this surprised me, they actually did have in the Green Book that the effective date should be the date of first committee action, which I found very surprising to see that in the Green Book. Yeah, that would be unusual. Yeah. Yeah, And there's usually they would view as unique circumstances around why they would pick those dates for, you know, behavioral effects on taxpayers. So I guess what we're saying is, wouldn't necessarily say that they would express a strong point of view on effective dates, but they could, at least based on that example you just have given us, Jennifer. And in the cases where they don't, let's just say they put in January 1, 2022, as you said, Tom, and it doesn't mean, you know, if you're a taxpayer, you're totally in the clear because, you know, the Green Book said, don't worry about it. It's going to be purely prospective because Congress, I guess, could have a different point of view. Yeah, it clearly could, especially if they see a proposal out there to change some element of taxation, they see abusive transactions taking place to avoid the change. You might see Congress propose something with an immediate effective date. All right. Well, Jennifer and Tom, I want to ask you both. This is Jennifer, you go first. This is my last question. This particular Green Book, you know, we've talked about others. Green Books of years past. We've talked about Obama. We've talked about Bush. We've talked about Clinton. We could keep going backwards. But here's my question. Do you think that this Green Book, highly anticipated, is this the most important one that you can recall? It's certainly one of those, you know, I keep coming back to the Bush tax cuts and 
in my mind, sort of a similar situation where you had a new president coming in, taking over from the other party with a strong Congress control and taxes being one of the things that had been discussed a lot in the campaign, something that they wanted to work on very quickly. So that was important as well. But, you know, looking over that green book from Bush, I think this one from the Biden administration may have more information in it, at least as far as details, a lot of the things being proposed, you know, are very technical. And looking back at some of the Bush items, some of those were a bit more straightforward, changing rates and that sort of thing. And there's just so much technical detail to be discussed in a lot of these proposals from the Biden administration. So I think it's certainly going to be very important. As, as you said, it's highly anticipated. I've certainly I've been waiting on it for quite a while and have spent a lot of time talking to clients saying, we'll know a lot more in a week or two when we have this green book. So it's finally here, almost here. Yeah. Tom, do you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it, this is this is really important because obviously this is going to be one of the signature proposals coming out of the Biden administration. You know, the Democrats are now in control of the House and Senate. This is the starting point for major legislation that's a high Democratic priority. So yeah, I think this is definitely the most important one that I can remember for a long time. I agree. And for all of you listening, if you were catching this before. The Green Book actually comes out. You know, you can cancel your Memorial Day plans. You've now got something better to do, which is to read the potentially hundreds of pages of the Green Book. Okay, well, that's it for today. I hope this episode was useful to you in putting the Green Book into context. During the Obama years, you know, when we had Green Books, uh, every year I would get a call from someone outside the U.S. who would ask the same question. The question was, when is Congress going to vote on the Obama budget? And I'd have to politely explain, well, never. And for someone coming from a parliamentary system, that question was perfectly valid. Here in the U.S., our system doesn't really work that way. But as we said today, this Green Book is important, maybe the most important one of my lifetime, because it is being parachuted right into the middle of a political process, which is looking for a set of ideas to coalesce around. In other words, for most congressional Democrats, there is a will, even if not yet a way. And this Green Book even as a largely aspirational document, is intended to show that way. The coming weeks and the coming months will tell us if it succeeds in that ambition. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon. 